All right, as a kid, I used to love when my parents would sit down and play a game with us or do any activity. And right here in our hands, we have the KiwiCo box, which is the activity of all activities for young kids. The colorful chemistry set, to be specific. So with Drew and Jet and Bear, we try to have really intentional playtime. And that's hard because they're all different ages and kind of in different developmental kind of phases of life. I love with KiwiCo that each month we get boxes specific to their ages and kind of like the activity development phase that they're in. So each box, this one's the colorful chemistry set. Um, this has to do with science, but especially with Bear, it can be really hard with a four month old to know like how to interact with him where he needs to be at four months old. And I love in these crates, they actually have cards that say, here are activities or things you can do specific to Bear that will help him identify colors or whatever it is. I love KiwiCo. There's always something new for kids to discover, like learning about the science of ice cream, engineering robots, or doing science experiments, which our kids have loved yes. recently. Sean is currently holding, as she said, the Colorful Chemistry Kit, which has provided hours of entertainment for our kids. They look forward to their new crate every month, and this one kept him really engaged. We got to experiment with mixing oil and water, mixing different colors, and watching how different things react. It was so fun. We basically created our own little chemistry lab with the kids, and we could feel their excitement when they got to play around and mix things together. Plus, it barely made a mess, so it was really quick to clean up and to use again another day. It can be hard to find creative ways to keep your children engaged, challenged, and off their screens, but KiwiCo does the work for you, so you can spend quality time tackling projects together. Redefine learning with play. Explore projects that build confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month of any crate at KiwiCo.com when you use code COUPLE. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com. Promo code COUPLE. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Couple Things. With Sean and Andrew. A podcast all about couples. And the things they go through. Well, this is well-timed. Um, today's interview is with pediatrician Dr. Mona um, if only we could have done this like in real time and asked her all about the flu because our kids are so sick, but she is very, very knowledgeable. We talked through so many incredible things about kids, the digital era, their like psychology, how to raise kids, all of it. Don't miss this one. She's got some good info and I got some influenza. So <laughs> we're just going to roll into this one with Dr. Mona. Dr. Mona, we are so excited to have you. I'm excited to kind of pick your brain on basically all the things that you talk to parents about on a daily basis in your office as a pediatric. No, not as a pediatrician. A pediatrician. There we go. I just this word. Yeah. This word is a is a wild word. Ped, pediatrician, pediatric. <laughs> How are you, Dr. Yeah. Mona? I am doing good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great today. Do you mind? Do you mind if I just flex your resume real quick? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Mona. Go ahead is gracious enough to give us some of her time today. She's a board-certified general pediatrician, parenting coach, mother. Uh, she's been featured on parents.com, Good Morning America, ABC Nightly News. Sorry, I'm tripping because there's so, it's such yeah. a long list of media that she's been on. She's a host of the Peds Doc Talk podcast. That's right. And we actually just got to interview her for the I Am Mom Summit, which is huge. Yeah. So many different things. So how'd you get into this, first of all? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me because I do everything that I'm going to probably talk about here and more on my podcast and my platform. So Pete's Doc Talk was created a few years ago because I would be in visits with my families and I would feel like a broken record talking about the same thing over and over. And one of my families was like, Dr. Mona, I love this. Where can I find what you just said online? And I said, you can't because it's not 
anything I've written. So I went home that day and I told my husband, I'm like, I need to start something because I have so many different tips on health, parenting, development, and I wanted to create a platform where I could do that. So I created Peds Doc Talk, which is not only the podcast, but it's an Instagram account, YouTube channel, a course for parents, um, toddler workshops, and so much more to provide that, you know, relatable, easy to digest information for parents on the health development and, you know, parenting of their children. Okay, this is a big, big question. So we, when we interviewed you for the I Am Mom Summit, we talked about setting boundaries with screen time for your kids. As a pediatrician, what other areas do you feel like boundaries are necessary for children? Ooh, this is so good. So screen time is one of the most important ones, I think. And then besides that, I think with sleep, in terms of making sure that we do try to allow our children to go to bed at a relatively similar time. You know, sleep is one of the most important things for me um, because it actually is regenerative. It's good for our immune system. It's good for learning. So when we talk about sleep boundaries, this means every day, are we allowing our child to sleep till midnight? Um, You know, like being up till midnight, or is this just a one-off because of a social activity or a party? So this is something really important to me. So sleep boundaries, screen time boundaries would be really important. And then when you talk about boundaries in general, this would be just rules that you have as a family. So boundaries at mealtimes, like we're not going to throw food. We're not going to hit our siblings. We're not going to, you know, forcefully do anything that we're not supposed to do. So it's boundaries on physical aggression, which is very common in toddlers for them to want to throw, kick, hit things just to learn about their world, um, throwing a food at mealtimes, um, you know, saying certain things at meals, like, I don't like that. I don't want that. Okay. You don't have to like it, but if you don't like it, you just put it aside. So these to me would be some of the big things that we should be looking at. And how would you advise a parent on like setting boundaries and dealing with the tantrums that come with it at the beginning in order to get kind of that routine of it? I think she's asking cause I, I'm, I came from a family with I have four siblings and it was kind of chaos. Like yes. boundaries were very loose. I kind of have that same mentality as a parent. And so at this point, our kids have established habits. What happens when we establish, you know, try to introduce a new boundary? I don't feel like it's going to go smoothly. This is a great thing. And the thing about boundaries is you said it perfectly. It has to be consistent and it has to be something that you're going to be expected of from your child. So When I say consistent, this means like 80% of the time you're holding the boundary. So as a parent, we have to respect the fact that you're not going to be able to hold a boundary every single time. Like sometimes, let's use screen time as an example. Sometimes you may have a boundary of, okay, no screen time today, but you as a parent are going to be like, you know what? Let's just watch another hour. I did this the other day. I was so tired and my son wanted to watch Mira Royal Detective and I was the one who's like, hey, do you want to watch more? And he was like, no, mom, I'm good. I'm like, wait, come here. Like, let's watch more. So sometimes as a parent, you're going to make decisions or want to extend a boundary or do something different. But the idea here is 80% of the time you are making a choice and a boundary. So to answer Sean's question initially, like, how do you go about with boundary setting? So there's certain steps that you have to do. First, you got to think as a parent, is this boundary important to me? And is it something that I'm going to follow through with? So for example, boundary is using screens as an example that we are going to watch two episodes of a show, okay? So now that is the boundary you've committed to as a parent. You want to commit to your boundary as a caregiver before you go into that situation. So two episodes. You're going to watch the two episodes. When the two episodes are done, 
you want to show your child that you've committed to the boundary, right? So before those episodes came on, hey, sweetie, we're going to watch two sh- two episodes of the show. After it's done, we watch two episodes. So it's time to turn off the TV. So now the next step after you've committed to your boundary is the calm follow through. You have to follow through with the boundary that you've created. Because if you don't, it shows your child that you don't mean business, that you don't mean, you don't mean the boundary. And children are learning with repetition. And sometimes parents can be a little uncomfortable doing this because they're trying to you know, be fun, but you can absolutely be fun. We are a fun family, but we have boundaries with certain things, right? So when this happens, you're saying, okay, it's time to turn it off, time to go play outside, and you're going to calmly follow through. You or your child will turn off the TV. They may get upset. Mommy, I want TV. I see that you really want the TV, but it's time to go play outside now. And this was so much fun. I love watching the show with you, but it's time to move on to our next activity. And then you'll move on. You want to avoid the rise. What that means is you don't want to join their anger or frustration. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Getting upset with them because then that builds with chaos with them. And then you want to be okay if they're not happy with the boundary, right? I see that you're really upset. It's okay that you're upset. Why don't we move on? And then I always say physical connection can be really helpful. So if they're so upset and they've now gone into a tantrum mode, right, because they didn't like the boundary and now they're throwing and kicking or they're just on the ground crying, we do not want to turn back on the TV or give them back the thing that we held the boundary because then that teaches them that you're going to cry and we'll go back to, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. My boundaries don't mean anything. You want to be very firm in saying, I know you really want this. It's not time for TV anymore. We can watch again later give them a hug, caress their back, you know, whatever it is that you all show affection as a family is so vital so that they know that boundaries are important, but I love you. I still think this is so, you're so important to me and I respect that you don't like the boundary, but the boundary's there, right? I think one of the pitfalls, like I said, is that parents often get so scared of their children being upset that they turn back on the TV or they give them back the thing that the kid that we were trying to hold the boundary for, but then the child will never learn with the repetition that, this was an important boundary for my parent. And so when you start to do this over time, you'll start to realize that they won't have tantrums because they know that you are going to hold that boundary. You're not going to join their chaos and get upset with them. And you're not going to join that rise as well of like just being um, upset with them. And then they're going to move on to the next activity. I mean, this is something that with, with repetition is very fascinating. And it has a lot to do with our children recognizing that repetition and consistency which is so vital for them. And the toddler brain, you know, that one-year-old to five-year-old brain really loves this consistency, even though we may feel like they don't like it in the moment, they'll start to recognize this as a pattern and be like, oh, okay, well, TV's done, time to move on, but it can take some time to get there with repetition. If you know me, you know I love cereal. Our whole family does, and growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. But now that I'm older, I know it's important to watch out for empty carbs and extra sugar. So I took a little break there from eating so much cereal, but now I've tried Magic Spoon, and Magic Spoon has classic flavors and the crunch you love, but it has way less sugar, and it's high in protein. We love Magic Spoon in the East household. I always get the variety pack. It has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs with only 140 calories. Per serving. It's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. It's pretty wild to think a cereal can be high in protein and low-carb and still taste delicious, but it does. 
I love eating a bowl of the fruity flavor after a workout for some extra protein. And Sean here loves the cocoa flavor as a snack before bed. We think everyone should try Magic Spoon and taste the difference themselves. Go to magicspoon.com slash eastfam to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code eastfam at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash eastfam. And use our code EASTFAM to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Let's take a minute to thank our first sponsor of today's podcast, <laughs> AG1. How timely is this? Uh, Man, I mean, these past few weeks have been rough. They have been, if you could hear my voice. Uh, <laughs> we've been getting sick. The kids have been getting sick. Uh, and we've been trying to pound our AG1 every morning. I was realizing I haven't gotten sick in a long time. You haven't gotten sick in so long. And I, especially since we're parents to like toddlers, I feel like the illnesses are just coming in and out of the door every single week, just trying to get our immune system back on track. I'm taking two a day at the moment. I'm trying to stay healthy because I'm the last man standing. And it's literally an uphill battle. Oh my gosh. Athletic Greens has been around our house for, I guess, almost three years now, and we do take it every single morning. We felt the difference. I have the flu right now, and I haven't been sick, really, at all. I don't think I've ever seen you this sick. It's been it's been a brutal bug, and now with the kiddos, it's it's awful. Anyways, if you guys don't know about AG1, with just one scoop of AG1, you can get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens for the day. We cannot recommend it enough. We can't recommend it enough because I really attribute uh, our general health to AG1. So yes. if you want to try it out, Athletic Greens is making it easy, and they're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash eastfam. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash eastfam to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Let's get back to it. This feels like good just like relationship advice yeah. Cool. yeah it's like super good you should teach this for each other yeah <laughs> um i would say one of the most like one of the topics that i obsess over the most as a parent of two littles is the whole milestone thing i get really really wrapped around this concept of i need to be helping them develop and then also like hitting all of these milestones that you read in books or you read online. They got to be on schedule. They got to be, <laughs> yes. they got to be saying 12 words by 12 months or, you know, yes. it's like, yeah, yeah. so my question is one, how can you best encourage as a parent kind of that natural um, development that a kid is supposed to have? And then how do you as a doctor and pediatrician advise parents to not overly obsess about milestones, but still show the importance of them? Oh, I love this question because development is my jam. It's my bread and butter. It's something that's, I think, so important. And you're right. You asked me at the beginning, like, what do parents come in, like, you know, concerned about or, you know, we we're talking about boundaries. But milestones, there is a huge milestone anxiety that exists in modern parenting. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that we do want to do things perfectly as parents. And so we expect that to happen for our children as well, that in order for me to be this perfect parent, my child also has to be the perfect sleeper, the perfect eater, the me, you know, checking all the boxes. But I want to first remind everyone listening, especially if you're a parent, and this is also human advice, like adult advice too. None of us are perfect and there's no schedule that any of us are trying to meet. Now, milestones, just so that parents understand, when we talk about milestones in general, this is for 
the developmental community, pediatricians, to know generally, you know, what 80% of children should be doing. So if a child's not meeting a certain quote-unquote milestone, we know that we need to possibly get that child some intervention, with, which, which could mean speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, or otherwise. And, you know, my son actually um, had a medical issue that I was like watching his development like a hawk, you know, he was born and he had a, he had a stroke and seizures and we were, we were watching this, you know, like I development already was important to me, but because of his history, I was also developing a little bit of milestone anxiety. And I want to say that sometimes your anxiety can come so bad that you're starting to not enjoy playtime because you're so obsessed with them meeting certain milestones, like rolling and crawling that you're not just being present with them and just enjoying their presence. And so much of child development is innate. So much of it is evolutionary. So much of it is allowing them time on the floor, right? So time out of um, devices, right? So letting them just, once they start, you know, putting their head up in tummy time and starting to show signs of rolling, we want to really maximize floor time, floor play, right? This is what's going to really help them develop those big and, and small muscles. And this is when I go back to the basics, right? We think so much about, I have to do all this stuff. But when you go back to, the 1990s, or even even generations before us, when we did not have any baby books like the way we do now, or all these social media accounts, everyone met mile. Everyone was meeting milestones, but we have so much pressure now that I feel like we end up doing things inadvertently to destruct their milestones because we're like, oh my god, I got to do this and I got to fidget with them. Let them be. Let them play on the floor in a safe environment. Obviously, I don't. They can't be getting into anything unsafe. In terms of playing with activities, you know, we talked about screen time. Also, we want to really try to minimize screen time under the age of one and between one and above screen time is a part of our life, but it's not the only thing, right? We want to have as much face-to-face contact with the caregiver as is humanely possible with your schedule. I am a working mom as well. I know how busy life is. So we want to really look at our resources and say, are we really trying to get one-on-one FaceTime with my child? Are we really trying to maximize outdoor play with my child? Because all of those things are also going to be places that we can really get language opportunities, right? When they are with the caregiver and their caregiver and them are focused on an item, whether that be watching a TV show together, whether that is looking outside at the trees or looking at the clouds or looking at a toy that's rolling across the floor. When a child is having joint attention with their caregiver and their caregiver is describing that item, language is blossoming this way. You know, this is such a huge basic sort of developmental tip. But when you look at all of these things, these are basic developmental tips. And I have so much more that I have in like all my resources. But when you look at all this, I want to remind families that even doing all of this, there is a small percentage, and I'm going to say about three to 5% of children that may not meet certain milestones. And it sounds like a little, but when you look at how many children there are, it could seem like, you know, you know, a lot of people that may not meet certain milestones. And this is not a negative if they're meeting milestones. This does not mean that you did not do enough. This means that your child's brain needs a little bit different assistance in helping them, guiding them to meet that milestone or meet the best of their potential in that developmental domain. So I look at language as an example. Some children, some parents feel so bad when their child's not meeting a language milestone, like they feel like they failed their kid. And that has a lot to do with societal judgment. And I can throw that all out there. I've heard it oh, your child's not talking because you gave them too much screen time. Your child's not talking because you don't spend enough time with them. Your child's not talking because you you did this. Like the people have so much judgment, but also we don't understand that every kid could be learning different. You could have two twins in the same household. One picked up language much quicker than the other. You, you guys have two children. Your older or younger could meet a certain motor milestone before the other, or one of the other children met a language milestone. 
before the other. This doesn't make them better or worse. It makes them different, just like me and you all are, right? We all have just different ways that we learn certain skills. So it's important to recognize that every child in front of us is unique, that they are all meeting a milestone on their own trajectory. But if they're not meeting a certain quote unquote language milestone or, or motor milestone, the thing that that's going to help us realize as pediatricians and medical professionals is okay, you're not meeting this certain skill that we would love your child to have. Are they going to meet it because, you know, they're on the cusp and it's coming? Or do they need that extra assistance? You know, someone trained in that area, a speech therapist or a physical therapist, to help boost their potential so that they can reach the best outcome. Because when it comes to children, I always like to remind families, the goal here is for them to meet their own trajectory in terms of weight, in terms of height, in terms of development, in terms of skills. Every human being is unique. And as parents, you know, my dream is that we can help foster a children's developmental, uh, a child's developmental trajectory without trying to compare so much. But Milestones builds that right in, right? Already, you're already comparing yourself to your friends or your other sibling, when in reality, we want to really try to focus on, okay, my child may not be saying 50 words like her friend who is the same age, but she's meeting the milestone, you know? So this is okay. We'll still work with her. She's my brilliant child. It's okay. Um, and I was there too. My son didn't speak as fast as other children, but now he won't stop talking, you know? So this is great. But um, it's, it's, it, there is anxiety there. And I hope parents really understand that every, every child is so unique and our journey with them as parents, whether they're twins, siblings, whatever it is, is also unique as well. And we have to look at every child as, its own in their own individual personality and brain, you know, that's that we have to foster. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sean and I have been open about our journey with marriage counseling, and it's been really helpful for us. We all carry around different stressors, both big and small, and it's important to sort those out so they don't affect your relationships. I agree. And therapy is such a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. We've been meeting with the therapist individually and as a couple, and it's been a great way to sort through any stressors in the week and have better communication about how we're feeling, which is hard to do when you're busy with kids. BetterHelp is an incredible option if you're thinking of giving therapy a try. It's all online, so it's convenient and flexible with your schedule. It's also nice that you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, so you make sure it's a good fit for you. We would highly recommend trying it out. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash EastFam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash EastFam. Can I... <clears throat> How do you view your role as a parent? Is it closer to maybe like the role of the president of the United States where it's like pe people say like they don't actually do anything. They don't <laughs> like they have no influence over the direction of the country. Or is it like can do parents like drastically change the outcome of their kids? Like if you were going to A, B test with different parents, how do you view yours or, or do you have any insight on that? I, I love this question. And I, I would say we have a huge role in being this sort of, I would love, I'm trying to find the right analogy of a person. I would say that we are like a, a, a small business owner that, that is, let's, let's talk about like a CEO of a, of, a, of a small company. Okay. You guys are business owners too. So I would hope, so as a CEO of a company, you see the potential in all of your 
people in your, you know, your children, you see the potential in each of them. Your role as a CEO is to set some boundaries. Your role is to set some common sense rules, but you don't have to be stuffy all the time. You don't have to be boring all the time. You can be relatable, right? Like I'm talking about like a tech company CEO, the ones that like it's casual, you know, um, because what you're doing here is boundaries are really important for children, but they also need to be seen for their strengths, right? So as a CEO, I would hope that you're doing that, right? You're seeing that, hey, my, this child is doing really well at this and really loves to play soccer. Am I going to force them to go do like football? No. Am I going to force them to do ballet? No, they really like soccer. So let me foster this soccer. Now, if they don't like it, we'll have a conversation about why they don't like soccer, this and that. But I would say our role is to really set the rules at the house, bring some fun and levity into parenting. I think parenting is such a such an honor. Like I look at it as a privilege. I know a lot of people are parents, but it is a hard role. We are responsible for raising these humans that are going to make decisions in this world and hopefully be kind to other human beings. So I look at it as a huge privilege. And then we also have to really look at each individual child that we're raising as someone that has this amazing potential for themselves, you know, and that is really hard to do as parents sometimes because we get into that comparison game, you know, with either a sibling or another friend's child, um, but really looking at the strengths and weaknesses of our children. And this is kind of, like I said, advice for how we look at ad adults as well, right? Like everyone thrives in certain areas. Every You can't be great at everything as a human being. So you have to really look and say, here's what is working for my family. Here's what's working for my child. Um, and just be that loving, you know, that loving presence in your child's life to guide them. They feel comfortable coming to you with concerns. You know, that is kind of how I view my role as a parent. I want my son to feel completely secure with who he is. I want him to feel comfortable exploring the world, but I also want him to know that if he's not safe, if he's upset, if he's scared, if something's not going right, he always has my husband, myself, home base to come back to, right? I'm talking about even as a teenager or an adult, I want him to always know that there is open communication here, that there's love here, that there's always going to be someone on his team someone that is looking out for his best interests. And even if he fails, even if he, when he succeeds, I will love him just the same. You know, there's so much about parenting that um, can be conditional a lot of the times. I think a lot of us can look back at childhood and say, you know, there was this or that, but it's so important to love your children for who they are and what they bring to the table and try to foster that in their entire life. That was really good. Thank you. I like, <laughs> I like the analogy. Yeah. Bouncing like, around. To come by. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew loves philosophical debate, so he'll he'll throw those questions in whenever he can. I also love analogies, so yes. I'm not good at them, but I like them. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, bouncing around a, a couple other topics. Um, you are an expertise or an expert. One of your other, I can't find words. You good today, today dude. One of <laughs> your other places of expertise is in helping children kind of foster those good coping skills at such a young mm -hmm. age. Where did this come from and why is this so important to you and what would your advice in that area be? So I would love to answer the where, why is this important to me and where it came from. So, you know, a lot of my platform is talking about the health, the health of children, the development of children, and also parenting tips for, um, for parents. But a lot of what we do in our life has been set in stone from the first seven years of our childhood. We don't even realize that, but how we That's terrifying. I know it's terrifying. So when Andrew, you asked me like, Hey, how important is the role of a parent? I'm like, it's really important. I, I don't want to put pressure <laughs> on pressure on parents. But when I say it's really important, it doesn't have to, it's not going to be hard. Okay. I know it sounds like 
an incredibly daunting task? Of course it is because we're responsible for children. But when you get into these certain principles of parenting that I love talking about, you're going to really realize I got this. Like I'm going to raise this child who loves themselves and, you know, loves the world and looks at themselves as a positive member of society, like I mentioned already. But when I look at this, you know, a lot of what I look at is my husband's an ER physician. I'm a pediatrician. And so much of our health and so much of the reasons people end up in the ER as adults, despite trauma, I'm talking like besides, you know, emergencies or freak accidents, a lot of it has to do with lifestyle choices. So having a healthy relationship with sleep, meaning prioritizing sleep. And I mentioned how important that is. Like sleep is something that I, I, I always go back to because it is the fundamental of so much of our health. Um, so sleep, how we view sleep, um, relationship with food. So how we view food, how we view our body image, how we view ourselves in the mirror, how we talk to ourselves in the mirror. This is so important for our mental health. And then also our relationship with stress, which is bringing me to your question um, about, you know, why coping skills are so important. So those are your three things, right? Sleep, food, and stress. Because if you can manage your stress, if you can get enough sleep, and if you eat a variety of nutrients, you're going to avoid a lot of health problems in your life. You're not going to avoid every health problem, let's be honest, but you're going to really avoid a lot of that stress-related, you know, food-related illnesses that we see, diabetes, heart hypertension, all of that. So we look at the big picture. Do I have a healthy relationship with food? Am I trying to prioritize sleep whenever I can? I know it's really hard. And then the third thing is coping skills. Now, healthy relationship with emotions comes down to how I view my emotions. And again, this is so important for adults as well. And it's actually what I talk a lot about on my podcast for parents. But we need to look at, as, at emotions as equal. We tend to want to push down negative emotions. Like if someone's crying, we'll say, don't cry. Why are you crying? But we would never tell anyone who's happy to stop being happy. We are, we've been programmed to say that crying is a negative thing. So we say, okay, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. But now if your child was happy and joyful, you're not going to say stop being happy, right? So we need to understand where that's coming from. It comes from our childhood saying that crying is bad. Crying is weak. We shouldn't cry. Only, you know, babies cry. When in reactuality, we know that tears is a healthy human emotion. Tears can mean tears of joy. Tears can mean, um, you know, tears of sadness, but it's a healthy physical manifestation of emotion. So we don't want to shut that down in children and try to hush them out of that feeling. So when we're talking about coping skills, one of the biggest things I talk about is when my child is feeling sad or when your child is feeling upset, saying that first thing you want to do when you're teaching healthy coping skills is labeling and saying, hey, I see that you're really upset right now. I see that you're crying. And this is something that can be done the moment the child is like nine months old, because by then they're already doing reciprocity, right? They'll, if you make a face like this, they'll make a face back. And so when you start to notice that they're showing signs of reciprocity around the eight month, nine month mark, you can start doing this when they start to get scrunchy and make a sad face. Oh, you're really sad. I know. I see that you're very, very sad. And then when they get older, like toddler years, you're going to show them books that have faces of different human emotions babies who are crying, children who are happy, so they can see all the different emotions. And then you're going to start labeling. Or if you are sad, like I've been there where I've cried in front of my son, I'm crying. And I say, mommy was crying because mommy was a little sad, but mommy's okay now. So that is your way of teaching them about emotions. And then when they're feeling frustrated, what we can do is what can we do when we're feeling sad? And this is something that you can teach like a child who's, I would say 18 months plus, because now you've taught them about what the emotions are, then you can actually teach them what to do with it, right? So now just say your child's feeling sad, 
you can't really teach them in the middle of a crying episode, but just say you're talking about feeling sad. Like you see a child on the TV looking sad. Oh, that child is sad. What makes you feel better when you're sad? A hug, sitting and, you know, cuddling with a teddy bear, taking some deep breaths, right? That is what I mean by coping skills, right? So healthy coping skills are things that we as adults should also do. So examples, I'm going to rattle some off. Taking some deep breaths, I think, is one of the biggest coping skills that even adults should do when we're feeling stressed or overwhelmed. So we taught this art to our son from a young age. So we taught him when he was calm. But then now when he's upset, we say, Ryan, you're feeling a little upset. I want you to really take some deep breaths with me right now. And he will take deep breaths with me. But the idea here is that you also have to model it, right? Because kids learn by what they see. One in five Americans have, quote, learn a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Plus, Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Andrew and I have been learning Spanish on Babbel, and it's been so fun. We've wanted to learn a new language for so long and have finally started. We've learned how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants, all without having to consult language apps, which is so cool. It's crazy how fast your brain picks up a new language when it's presented in a relatable way. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Babbel has over 10 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com eastfam. Again, get 60% off at babbel.com eastfam, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com eastfam. Rules and restrictions may apply. So you're going to take some deep breaths with the child, and they're going to start to realize that when they're upset, what what coping skill strategies can they go back to? Okay, we have breathing exercises, so taking deep breaths. We also have, just say they want a hug. I think hugs are an, an amazing coping skill, right? Meaning physical contact with a loved one is so beneficial. It, it, it releases feel-good hormones that can calm you down after you've been upset. So when your child is feeling sad or you see a sad face, right? You're teaching them, when you're sad, what can you do? You can give someone a hug, right? Like if you see someone sad on the playground, you can go and ask if they want a hug or if they need some help. And so then when they finally have those emotions, you'll, you're going to coach them through that again. And it's you can't teach them when they're dysregulated and like they're so upset. You can't like be like, okay, well, no, I need you. I'm going to teach you how to breathe. You're teaching them all the coping skills when they're calm so that when they do have these big feelings, they are now going to try to grab it through their, you know, their tool belt and say, okay. And you're going to say, okay, breathing. Okay, do you need a hug? And so then they'll get primed. They'll be like, oh yeah, I'm feeling sad. Oh yeah. And when I felt sad, my mommy last time told me that I should, I should breathe or get a hug. And this is going to feel really good to them. So these are so important to me. And it's such a beautiful thing when you start to see that, because what it teaches children also is that it teaches them emotional, um, emotional connection with other humans, right? So when they see a child hurt, or if they see a child crying, they also begin to normalize these feelings too, rather than saying only babies cry, babies don't, you know, um, big boys don't cry. We say, oh, that, that kid, you know, who fell in the park, why do you think they're crying? And then my son will go, 
oh, he fell. Oh yeah, he fell. But what happens when we fall? We get back up and then we feel better, right? Like you, you can use these opportunities that happen in all of our lives to teach our children too. So that then when they find themselves in those emotional moments, they don't feel shame. They don't feel like, oh my gosh, like I can't, I can't cry when I fall. You know, sometimes it hurts when you cry and that's okay. Do you need to make a big production about it? No, but we move on, right? We say, oh, it hurt. It's going to feel better. Do you need a hug? Do you need something to help you feel better right now? And then we move on and move forward. But I feel like it can so greatly help our children and also just make the world. I know this sounds like my, my beauty pageant speech, but I think it can just make the world a better place. You know, when we start to really foster this sort of emotional connection and this emotional um, insight into these toddlers and children so that then when they go out in the world, they're, you know, they're more accepting of human emotions um, and, rec- and can recognize it in other children and adults as well. And that's so good. I have a follow-up question to my earlier one. Yeah. Which is the more common scenario? A parent helping a kid who otherwise wouldn't have excelled, excelled in different areas of life, or parents doing something traumatic that ultimately long-term does damage to the kid and their potential Ooh. in whatever area. So you're asking which one? Yeah, you're asking. Um, okay, so the, fir- the second one is doing something. Do the, for the second one, does the parent know they don't think that they're doing anything wrong, right? Correct. They think that they're okay. And then for but the it's like first a perpetuation one, of like a habit that like, hey, my like, parent yelled at me all the time and yeah. I'm doing that to my is kid. Is it easier to mess a kid up or push a kid forward? Mm. But the first one, I want to clarify that one because are you <laughs> pushing pushing them in, in something that they otherwise would not want to do? Or no. just pushing no. them in general? No. Like, in general. Okay. Helping them so, uh, in life. So I think, I think both of these things are, con- are happening in parenting. I will say that the second one to me is obviously more detrimental, meaning it can be concerning when we are putting our, um, you know, putting our insecurities or trying to, you know, like the yelling cycle, all of these things. So I want to kind of touch upon that second one, the one about the um, doing things for our children that could potentially be harmful, right? I think, and we can talk about both, but for that one, what we have to recognize is we... I, I feel like a lot of times we become parents and we we read all the parenting books or we read all the resources online and we know, okay, this is how I deal with the tantrum. This is how I deal with my child's fighting sleep or not wanting to eat their food. But we don't, what we don't real, realize and read about or do the work on is why is it that when my kid gets angry that I also get very stressed and why does my heart rate start to go up? Why am I very uncomfortable, going back to the conversation we had about emotions, why am I very uncomfortable when my child has very big feelings, like starts to cry? Is it because I'm tired, stressed, whatever, or is it because when I was a child, my parents told me that I should not cry, that I would be like, and I'm, I'm being very honest as a parent, as someone who deals with a lot of parenting issues, um, that they were told you shouldn't cry, that if you keep crying, I'm going to smack you. If you keep crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Now, if you grew up in a childhood like that, you're going to grow up never feeling like crying is okay. When, like I said, crying is actually one of the most healthy human emotions we can have. It's when we try to stop crying and like say, stop crying, stop crying, that the person just learns as they get older to bottle it up, that you need to bottle it up. But bottling doesn't allow that energy to go anywhere, right? It doesn't allow the feelings to be felt so that you can process those feelings and cope and learn to move on so that you can deal with those issues when it comes again, right? If you keep bottling it up, you're never learning coping skills because you never were taught that these emotions are okay. 
So to me, that is the biggest thing that we, that a lot of parents don't do. They don't look at their childhood. They don't look at, is all the things that I'm bringing to my table right now, is it stuff that just day to day, or am I like this because of how I was parented? I, you know, I look back at my childhood and there's so many amazing things from my childhood, but there were things that I would love to do, that I would love to do differently with my own son. And my husband agrees, right? Like we grew up in very um, Indian American households that, you know, you got to be a doctor, you got to do this, which we both are, by the way, funny enough. Um, but, but you, you know, you got to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, answering your first question about like the, um, the pressure to do things and guiding them, you know, there was a lot of expectation of you got to check the check boxes, right? Because we're in America now, you got to meet the American dream, you got to do all of these things. And in some ways, it put a fire under our ass to succeed. But it also created stress with failure, right? We didn't know how to cope with failure. We felt very uncomfortable when it was time to fail. Um, and I look at parenting as this huge microcosm of what are we teaching our children? You know, the goal here is that we teach children that, like I said earlier, that they're capable of handling different situations, right? That if they do fail, that we are going to be there in terms of guiding them. Are we going to fix their problem every day? No, that's not what guiding means. That means working with them to a solution dependent on their age. Let's use a toddler versus a teenager. A toddler can't do a puzzle, right? Of course, you're not going to make your toddler sit there and figure out the puzzle all on their own, right? They're a toddler. They need help. So you're going to sit there. They're getting frustrated, right? This is a sign of them failing. Just use this as an example. So you're, you're letting them sit there and they're, they're struggling. You're going to talk to them and walk them through it. I see that you're really frustrated right now. I see that this is really difficult. Do you want to try again? How about we turn this piece this way? And then you're going to turn it for them. And then they're going to get it. And then you're going to go, yes, you got it. And you're going to build that. Eventually, they're going to be old enough because of their cognitive development that they're going to be able to do the puzzle, right? But you just guided them through failure. You didn't leave their side. You didn't say, well, you just figure it out. I'm not going to help you. You're, you're smart enough. No, you're, you recognize that they're only a toddler. Now you have a teenager who just failed their first exam right? Like they, they were getting A's and now they got their first C, okay? Um, or first F, if you want to talk about failing. And now the parent goal here, using that same principle in the toddler years, is are you going to just leave them high and dry and say, well, you need to figure it out. It's not my problem. No. The parent choice here is guiding them, like you said, like kind of um, forcing or kind of guiding them to a goal is you got a C or you got an F. Let's use C as an example. What could you do differently next time? I know you, I saw you working hard. Do you feel like it would be better if you worked with someone else? Do you feel like there's any other strategies that you could have um, done better so that you could have worked harder? Do you think that you're over, overdoing things? Like, or do you feel like it's too hard or maybe you're, you're doing too many extracurricular activities, right? The goal for a, a teenager now is for them to help guide them figure out on their own also, well, what troubleshooting do I need to do so that I don't keep failing or do I just need extra help? right? Like, do I need um, tutoring? Or do I need to maybe change the classes I'm in? Or, you know, pivot here, because we know that, again, the goal in life is not to meet every check checkbox, get the A's and get all of that. The goal is when we don't succeed, whether that's on a societal created expectation of grades or whatever it is, how am I going to teach my child to pick themselves up, pivot and work again? And you know, I know, Andrew, you're an athlete. Both, well, both of you are athletes for football and gymnastics. I know I'm, pre I'm preaching to the choir here that, I mean, I was an athlete too, but not nearly as good as you all. But you, you learn so much through being an athlete also about picking yourself up and figuring out, well, what do I need to do better next time? And I, I love that. And I think, I, I hope you're taking that into parenting, right? Because that to me is one of the biggest things that I learned from being an athlete is how, you know, there's so many things that people can say about like, 
you know, the, the, how, how time consuming being an athlete is, but the benefits, my gosh, is the work ethic, right? You learn if things don't work, what can I do? What can I do to change? Do I need to put more time? Am I putting too much time into this? Am I beating my body to the ground? Like, what do I need to do here? Listening to my own voice here to really make these changes. And I think we should do so much of that with our children as well. So they can meet their own potential too. Everyone knows that finding the perfect t-shirt with like the quality and the fit is near impossible. I told you guys that I found Skims while I was pregnant, and now postpartum, I found the best nursing bra known to mankind from Skims. Well, they've outdone themselves again because they now have the perfect t-shirt, especially postpartum with a changing body. I can guarantee you, you won't find a t-shirt like it. I love also that Skims has a fit for everyone from the long t-shirts to the cropped. They truly have like sizes and qualities and styles for every single thing you could want. So the cotton jersey t-shirt is the one that I'm talking about. It is an absolute staple. I feel like I'm reaching for it literally every day, especially nursing with bear. It's breathable and soft and it somehow gets even softer and still holds its shape after every wash. If I could only recommend two of the Skims t-shirts, I would say the cotton jersey t-shirt, which I have in mineral, or the boyfriend t-shirt, literally in any color, are probably my two favorite t-shirts that they make. Shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes extra, extra small to 4X. After you place your order, select podcast in the drop-down menu, select couple things to let them know we sent you. Have a good one. Couple Things is also sponsored by Everlywell. Uh, we're huge fans of Everlywell. I've spoken about this before, but I recently started this self-discovery journey to find out more about my body. And in doing so, I took a food sensitivity test to Everlywell. It has changed I mean, not to be dramatic, but like everything for me. I actually found out I was severely allergic to dairy and gluten intolerant. Actually, this hasn't been that much fun for me because you've changed your diet so much. I can't even explain to you. When I removed dairy from my diet, my stomach immediately felt better. I wasn't as snotty all the time. Like, You're it changed happier. everything. Yeah. <laughs> but Everlywell has over 30 at-home lab tests, and you'll be able to find the perfect test for you or your loved one. The Women's Health, Food Sensitivity, and Celiac Disease Screening Tests are only a few of the options that they have. Yeah, Everlywell is a digital healthcare designed for you with personalized results and accessible tools for long-term health. It's so easy. They ship you the test. You take it at home and send it back. Then you get your results. Trust me, guys. It's worth it. It's so simple. The gift of health has never been so easy to share <laughs> than it is this holiday season. For listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash eastfam. I mean, I feel like that's ironic, the whole like passing on health this year. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyways, that's everlywell.com slash eastfam for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash eastfam. Let's get back to it. I love your perspective. I appreciate you uh, entertaining my questions here. It's so yeah, interesting. I, love I mean, these. your these position. So good. You see, you see thousands of parents, and like you kind of have classifications now. By the way, I'm so curious. All these different frameworks that you, you mentioned, like the yelling cycle. Mm-hmm. I want to know like all of that stuff because for me personally, it helps to like classify things. Is like when I'm going through the yelling cycle right now, like whatever with my kid who's frustrating me. It's like, oh, hold on. I know this is the yelling cycle and let me, let me interject and, st- and cut it off here. So I'd, I'd be curious, uh, maybe in a part two conversation about all those different kind of frameworks. But I, I, um, to your point about being an athlete, like I think right now where I'm in with parenting is viewing it as standing in like a hallway that has doors that represent all the possibilities and opportunities of life with your kid. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, okay, how can I, 
push them to uh, get to the doors that are worth getting to and like Love opening, um, worth like the problem solving, the getting back up, not and not closing doors that otherwise wouldn't have been closed. So like you know, <clears throat> our our one year old got hurt last night. It's like, man, how can I, you know, not in a in a bubble wrap parenting type of way, but like, how can I? Uh, encourage them most without like, you know, having them have a super negative connotation to sports. Cause I'm like fixated on them being athletes. Right. And then they just automatically shut off when they uh, grow up in that realm. But it's like, that's kind of where I'm at where it's like, all right, let me just encourage them where it needs to be. And then just try not to, to ruin the rest kind of, but um, I, anyway. I love that. And that could be a whole conversation, but I want to say one thing because you both are athletes and my husband and I are both physicians. We are the yeah. opposite that we don't want our child to become a doctor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, but, um, but, we're, but the reason I'm bringing that up is we don't want our son to become a doctor, but he already is showing signs that he wants to become a doctor. And a lot of the reason I'm bringing that up, Andrew, is you can't force your child to do a lot of things. We know that, right? Like you, you don't know if they're truly going to have, and I have to be very frank here, if they're going to have the same athletic prowess that you and your wife have. We don't, we don't know that. I, I can't say that. I don't want to, you know, they could because they have your genetics, but they may not. And we don't want to set that expectation up for them because then they're failing in our eyes. They're not failing in their own trajectory, right? We created a bad expectation for them yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. just doing their own life. And, yeah. but we created a standard. So what I'm saying, though, is that if they see that you all because, you know, I know you're not pro professional athletes at this moment, but if that's something that's important to your family, I know you all work out like I know that's something that they see probably growing up, they may start to realize, like, wow, like this is really cool. Like my like the watch videos of your guys in your in your prime, you know, doing all the things that you did. And they may just by modeling want to become those things. Right. Like, hey, dad. I would really love to try out football or I really would love to do gymnastics or even another new sport. And just by modeling without pressure, right. They can start to get that, those seeds. Like you just living your life of loving sports is going to show them. It's kind of like why I say that I brought that story up of my son, like my son, I love, even though I don't want him to become a doctor because of all the logistics, I love being a doctor. Like he sees me do all the things that I do. I do. I work from home. I get to be on these, like I do these, these kind of things. I, I do all these summits or videos and he gets to see it. And he now thinks, and he goes around singing, my mommy is a doctor. My mommy is a doctor. And I ask him like, you know, like he, he'll just put on his stethoscope and I'm like, you, you like being a doctor? He's like, I love it. And I'm like, that's so weird to me because I'm not like forcing him. I just, yeah. he's seeing how much I love it. Like he's just seeing how much I love it. And whether he becomes a doctor or not, I have no idea, but I want him to feel like, wow, like I can do whatever it is that I want to do in this world. And my parents will be on my, will have my back. Like, it's such a cool thing when he realizes that. And they're only, you know, we both have toddlers, so they have so much to go and so much of a life of like figuring out their likes and dislikes and what they're actually going to want to do. But um, the modeling without pressure, just like living the life that you love and you know, if you're, if you love football or whatever sport that you guys are watching in your house right now and just showing them that, and they may go play with their toys or want to watch, but with that repetition of the things that you love, they may get that seed of, oh, this is really cool. Like, maybe I want to try that. And then you did it without pressure, because I know that when a kid does something without pressure, like from a, a parent, they're going to have a lot more joy with it. They're going to find a lot yeah. more happiness from it. Um, and they're going to have even more success because it's innately driven too. It's not just externally motivated that they're, they found this goal. Yeah. That's so good. Um, well, I appreciate your time, Dr. Mona. This yeah. was fun. The boundary a, talk. Yeah. It was, it's so, 
it's such a good way and perspective that you have. It's reminds me of Abraham Lincoln quote where he says discipline or in this case, boundaries is sacrificing what you want now for what you want most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, it's always this fine line of like, all right, we got to, we got to put this boundary here in place because this is ultimately what we want our family or, or, uh, ourselves to look like. So, um, anyway, thank you again. If you listening, want to learn more about Dr. Mona or listen to her podcast, we will link the information down below, but her podcast is called Peds. Sorry. Peds. I'm sorry. Peds. Dang it. I was just about to close it out. <laughs> yes. Peds. Doc. You can talk. find her podcast, which is Pe- yeah. the Peds. Doc. Talk. Um, or on Instagram, Peds Doc Talk as well. I'm sure, I mean, we're going to be stalking every inch of your social media platform because we have so many questions about pedi- pediatrics and our children and just like raising them to be good, kind, loving kids. And yeah, it's it's terrifying, but it's also amazing <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. It is. It's a terrifying but amazing thing. And to raise kind kids that are not pushovers. That's my, I think I should do a, yes. a thing. Because <laughs> I feel like sometimes kindness is like, synonymous with pushovers but no we're raising kids that know their worth love themselves but also know you know that kindness goes a long way um to other human beings as well i love this yeah it's good stuff all right yeah, Doc, thank, you. thank you thank you for having me Bye. thank Bye. you all right real quick for all of those listening out there we don't ask for a lot of favors i don't think babe do we no but we're gonna ask you a favor today all right if you're listening to couple things podcasts on apple Podcasts specifically Will you please do us this short, quick favor? We want to make sure you're staying up to date with our show and Apple's latest iOS update has paused downloads for many listeners. And some of you have expressed our latest episodes aren't being recommended to you on Apple Podcasts anymore. So here's how to make sure you're getting your episode. And again, this is for Apple Podcasts specifically. Open up that podcast app on your iPhone. Search couple things and tap our shows icon. And then in the top right corner, you might see a plus follow symbol. If you do, tap it to resume following the show. If you get a prompt to, quote, turn on automatic downloads, say yes. That way... You'll get all of the episodes. Thank you so much, guys. We're so glad this update was brought to our attention because we want to make sure we're reaching as many of you as we can. Love y'all, and we really appreciate you doing this.